Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Good afternoon, everyone. Hey, thanks, everybody. It's great to see you all. Uh, I'm Stu. I'm one of the pastors here. And can I invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5? That'd be wonderful. Two months had passed since God had led his people out of Egypt. For generations, his people were held in captivity, bound up by an oppressive system that favored the well-to-do, the powerful, the taskmasters, the slave owners, and the royalty. It had been two months, but you can still imagine the cries of make more bricks were still ringing through Israelite ears. All they knew was the old land of Egypt, the way things were, the way that they were supposed to act, but now they were free, they were liberated, and they were on pilgrimage. Yes, it was a rather long pilgrimage, but it was a pilgrimage all the same to a new land, a new home. And so two months after the exodus, they set up camp at the foot of Mount Sinai. And over a series of days, Moses would ascend and descend up and down the mountain to meet with God and to invite God's people to consecrate themselves, to wade deeper into holiness. Through Moses, God would do two things. Firstly, he would remind his people that they were his treasured possession, and because of that, he led them out of captivity into freedom. And secondly, recognizing that they were now in a new place, they'd left the old land behind with its ways of living, He wanted to guide them into new ways of living, ways of living that were fit for a new land of freedom. And so he said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, so you are to have no other gods before me. He went on to instruct his people with further rules of living. Jesus of Nazareth, he begins his Moses-like ministry with one core message, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And as you can see by looking up just a couple of verses at the end of chapter 4, Jesus backed up his proclamation of this message with demonstration. He demonstrated this message. He let those throughout Galilee see the kingdom among us come alive before their very eyes and even in their own very bodies. Crowds flocked around Jesus and followed him. Crowds that lived in a time of tough Roman imperial rule. Also, they lived at a time where the religious authorities took the, the law given to Moses and twisted it to create an oppressive religious regime that favored the powerful and the privileged at the expense of ordinary people like them. Crowds, though, that had just in recent days weeks and months received from the heavens through Jesus of Nazareth. Once sick, they were now healed. Once oppressed, they were now delivered. The crowds had experienced the nearness of the kingdom of heaven through Jesus' own heart, his voice, and hands. Something new is happening. Something of the future is tethering itself to the present. The kingdom is here. A new land is at hand, and Jesus wants to guide his people into new ways of living. And so Jesus, he sets up along a mountain path. He sits down, and his disciples, they draw really, really close. 
in this new land known as the kingdom among us, everything at first will seem upside down. And so Jesus needs to teach his people. He wants to invite them to see that everything will come to be the right way up. Friends, if you're able, can I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word? Jesus begins his sermon on the mountainside by sharing who the blessed ones are. Who gets to live the blessed life in the land of the kingdom among us? He looks up at those before whom the kingdom is so lavishly laid. And he says these words. Matthew 5, beginning at verse 3. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice, be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord given to us so that we may know the love of the Father, may practice the way of the Son, and be filled over and over and over again by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Why don't you grab a seat? Can I invite you to keep your Bibles open just as we work through this today? Today we're kicking off a new series called The Blessed Life. Each Sunday we're going to be taking one of Jesus' Beatitudes and we're going to be asking ourselves the question, in light of the kingdom among us, who is now blessed? Who gets to live the good life in the kingdom of God? And before I get into this, let me just flag up one thing. If you and your family have been tracking with us in our Habits of the Home journey through Advent and Lent, and you're wondering where should we go next with our daily times of huddling together in our home for scripture reading and for prayer, can I really encourage you over the next few weeks as we open up a Beatitude every Sunday to take the following week to every day huddle together to pray through and read through one of these Beatitudes that we're going to be focusing on. I want to encourage you to memorize the beatitude that week, but also to meditate on it. And by meditate, I simply mean asking yourself the question and also asking your kids the question, what on earth is going on here? And I know that it will mean that you're just repeating one line every single day that week. But here's the thing. The beatitudes are Jesus's fundamental message. And what would it look like by the time we get to summer for us and for our families to see ourselves and others and this world as Jesus sees it. And the Beatitudes, they demand meditation. They demand questioning and wrestling because they don't make any sense whatsoever. Let me ask you, who do you believe is blessed? Think about that for a moment. Who do you see or imagine living the blessed life? Likely whenever I ask you that question today, you're not thinking about yourself. Perhaps you're thinking about somebody across this room, somebody across your street, somebody across the screen. Likely you're thinking of somebody who's got plenty of cash, who's got influence, who's got power, popularity, privilege. You're thinking of those who have made it, whatever that means. 
In the Beatitudes, Jesus is subverting and inverting our notions of blessing. And so to see who, according to Jesus, is blessed in his kingdom, it's really important for us to look at the context of his teaching on the mountainside. Because if you look at the start of chapter 5, it looks as if it's only Jesus' disciples who hear him teach the Sermon on the Mount. But I want you to flick over with me to the end of chapter 7. Flick through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' guide for living in the new way of the kingdom. The end of chapter 7, verse 28, it says this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, the teaching which began with the Beatitudes, because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Notice here, the crowds were able to hear everything that Jesus said. And the crowds would be made up by those who were worn out by the ruling regime, the hurting, the grieving, the wounded, the poor, the forgotten, and the rejected. In recent days, weeks, and months, as Jesus traveled around Galilee and the surrounding regions, he would have encountered people. People would have been compelled by him. They would have been changed by encountering him. And so they would have followed Jesus right the way up to the mountainside, and they were here hanging on his every word. Now, while Jesus' teaching was radical, otherworldly even, he was sure at all times to teach in a down-to-earth easy to understand way. He wanted his teaching to make sense to ordinary people, people like you and me. And so he often taught using stories or what we know as parables. He talked a lot about farming imagery. He loved to talk about trees. He spoke to a couple of men who were fishermen and said, hey, I want you to become fishers of men. You see the teaching that Jesus adopted. Jesus often used what was around him as illustrations for his teaching. And so as he teaches the disciples and the crowd while teaching the Beatitudes, he's doing exactly the same thing here. He uses the people around him as parables. Because as he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus would have locked eyes with those in the crowd he knew were spiritually bankrupt. When he said, blessed are those who mourn, he would have been able to point out people in the crowd who were grieving that day because he had spent time with them in recent days, weeks, and months. In the Beatitudes, Jesus isn't just offering up some lofty, philosophical, political teaching, although he is. Like, our framework for politics is completely shattered. Our framework for philosophy is completely disrupted whenever we consider the teachings of Jesus on the mountainside. That's a whole other talk. We'll leave it for another day. But whenever he looks at those who are gathered around him, he looks them in the eye. He looks at them who are living a real and raw life, and he says to them, you are blessed. In fact, the word blessed, or maybe in your Bible it says happy, those words don't really get at what Jesus is saying here. He's using the word makarios. Can you say makarios with me? Can you say makarios with me? Wonderful. Love it whenever we say Greek in church on Sundays. The best word in English that helps us feel what Jesus is saying here is the word congratulations. Congratulations to the poor in spirit. Congratulations to those who mourn. And I know what you're thinking, really, Jesus? He sounds like a roast comic who's kind of working the crowd. Hey, you're hurt. That's hilarious. Congratulations. Now, that didn't get a laugh. Okay, that's fine. Um, I have got some work before I become a roast comic. That's all right. 
Maybe that was just too harsh. I don't know. Maybe. Anyway. Why does Jesus teach like this? Why does hardship and hurting and persecution come with congratulations? Well, with every Macarios that is spoken by Jesus, it would have felt as if he was speaking directly to them. It would have been like if you were in the crowd there that day watching Jesus as he taught the Sermon on the Mount, it would have felt as if he approached you individually and incarnated the words of the psalmist, you go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. Jesus isn't just saying that, hey, life is hard for you. Good luck with that. Pats him on the shoulder. No, he places his hand of blessing upon their head and whispers, Macarios, congratulations. He moves towards them. He offers them his help. Macarios, he says, blessings to you in your grief. Blessings to you in your persecution. Blessing has come because I am here. I am on your side. I am with you. We might get caught up in the old way of thinking that it's only the rich, the religious, the powerful, the privileged who are favored in this world. They're the ones who deserve our makarios. But for Jesus, it's all upside down. It's all right way up in the kingdom because the kingdom is lavishly laid at the feet of those whom the world would call least. Look at the least, Jesus says, and see how much they are to gain in my kingdom. You may think of yourself as cursed by the concerns of your life, but you are in fact blessed. You might see yourself as last, but you are in fact first. And why? Because you're so not self-absorbed in your own building project, your kingdom building project. Real life, raw life has opened you up to receive the power of my kingdom. The king of the everlasting kingdom, he draws close to the likes of those who would have heard him on the mountainside, the likes of you and me. He looks at the overlooked ones, the ones who are dealing with real hard life, and he says, Makarios, I am here, I am with you. He said it then, and he might just be saying it to you today here. As we work through each of the Beatitudes over the next few weeks, it's really important for you to know that they are all about one thing. The kingdom of the heavens is available to you today, regardless of what you're going through. Blessing, true blessing, the blessed life comes about because we get to be close to the king. He draws close to us. The path to blessing is discovered in our proximity to Jesus. And I know what some of you are thinking today cool, but I'm going through some stuff right now. It sounds like good news, but it sounds like good news for somebody else. Please hear me. God is in arm's reach to those who consider themselves the least. He's at hand to the unexpected ones, the ones who are working through their stuff. In the way of the kingdom, whenever all we see and feel is cursing, the presence of Jesus draws close and offers blessing. The Beatitudes are good news to each of you today. As Frederick Dale Bruner puts it, the Beatitudes, they are concentrated gospel. The Beatitudes are a, as potent as it gets. Because for those of us who don't have it all together, for those of us who struggle, for those of us who are weighed down by shame or by system, a blessed life, a life under God's care is available to us. 
as Dallas Willard puts it. This is long, but it's really important. The Beatitudes, they serve to clarify Jesus' fundamental message, the free availability of God's rule and righteousness to all of humanity through reliance upon Jesus himself. They do this by simply taking those who, from the human point of view, are regarded as most hopeless, most beyond all possibility of God's blessing or even interest, and exhibiting them, like putting them on a pedestal, as enjoying God's touch and God's provision from the heavens. This proves to all that no human condition excludes blessedness. What you're going through right now does not exclude you from the blessing of God. That God can come to any person with his care and with his deliverance. The religious system of his day left multitudes out, but Jesus welcomed them all into his kingdom. Anyone could come as well as any other, they still can. And this is the gospel of the Beatitudes. In his teaching here, Jesus lays a table, a hospitable table, and he says to the grieving, come on, you're welcome. To the meek, to the parlous, you are welcome. To those of you who are stuck in patterns of behavior that bind you up, Makarios, you are welcome. He says to those who haven't got their life together, those who have messed up, hey, pull up a chair at my table for you are blessed. For all these people and for so many more, they get to receive his Makarios, his divine hospitality. And here is the kicker, they, you, and me. We didn't do anything to receive this. Just like the crowd, they, you, and me, we just showed up and we opened ourselves up to Jesus and we found ourselves caught up in the new order of his kingdom. That, my friends, is the gospel. No one is beyond beatitude. Nothing that you're facing will take you out of God's blessing because Jesus has opened up the kingdom of heavens to everyone and he has opened it up to you. Whenever I consider the Beatitudes, Jesus' most important teaching, I find myself often thinking about Jesus' most memorable story. The story of a son who takes his father's inheritance early and decides just to blow it all. And left with nothing, lying in the dirt, he decides to return back to his father. With his head weighed down, weighed down by shame, he considers how he can say sorry and what he can do to make things right. But as he approaches the lane, he hears and he sees his father with his cloak lifted up, bounding towards his son. He just wants to tell his dad how unworthy he is, but instead he is pulled into a loving embrace. A cloak is placed upon his shoulders, a ring is placed on his finger, and a table is set for a homecoming feast. And while all of this is going on, the prodigal's elder brother is working in the field. He has been doing all that he should be doing. He's been earning his way through his good works. He does right. He lives right. He works right. He has it all together. And for us, in our imaginations and also in the way of modern thinking, he should be the favored one, right? But whenever he hears of his brother's return and sees firsthand that improbable people are riotously celebrated in the kingdom party, he just gets angry. He is full of pride. Why does my slacker brother receive any kind of blessing from my father, he thinks? And why? Because to the undeserving, to those who have deserved it the least, to those who we see as lacking any kind of favor with our modern lens, Jesus says, Makarios, congratulations, my kingdom has come close to you. How would end? We good? How would end? We good? Great. All right, I want to take just a few more minutes. 
of your time to talk about the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's important to say this just before I get into this properly. There are two versions of the Beatitudes, one in Matthew's Gospel, one in Luke's Gospel. In Luke's version, Jesus begins by saying, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Whereas in Matthew's version, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. There is a difference. We'll talk about that. But I'm really glad that we have both versions of Jesus' teaching because in Luke, he is so clear Jesus is saying that the heart of God, it is set on the poor. His kingdom moves towards those who are economically and physically impoverished. And here's the thing, church, so should we. Loving the poor with both the proclamation and the demonstration of the gospel is what it is all about for the church. It is who we are as Lagan Valley Vineyard. And if you want to step further into this, Love Lagan Valley is just around the corner. And can I really encourage you to sign up and even just to dip your toes into this kingdom way of living. Blessed are the poor, Jesus says. Absolutely. But in Matthew's gospel, he adds the words in spirit. What does he mean whenever he talks about the poor in spirit? Well, Jesus taught us in this world, we are to expect trouble. And the poor in spirit are those who are right in the thick of their trouble. You know what I'm talking about? Life going good, things are all right, but then a curveball comes out of left field. Circumstances just collapse in on us and our world shakes. That is the moment whenever we become the poor in spirit. You know what I'm talking about? And if you don't, I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news as Eliza just cries whenever she hears what I'm about to say. You will know what it means to be the poor in spirit. At some point in your life, you will be the poor in spirit. I'm talking about the curveballs of the unexpected diagnosis, the marriage difficulties, losing the job, business problems, chronic anxiety, the deferred hopes that just keep getting deferred, the times whenever trouble finds us and just doesn't want to leave. And yet Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of God. How the flip does that work, right? That's what we're all thinking. Let me work through this. Jesus, well, he's saying that you're not blessed because you're poor in spirit. That's not what Jesus is saying. Like what you're going through is a good thing that he wants. No, that's not what he's talking about. Jesus is saying that you are blessed Because even in the thick of your trouble, he is drawing closer and closer and closer and closer to you. Today for you, friends, it might feel as if the world and even God is right up against you right now. But trust me, in the upside down, right way up way of the kingdom, his his kingdom is available to you. Maybe even more available to you right now than it has been before. The question is... Will we avail ourselves of the kingdom's availability? Let me explain what I mean whenever I say that clunky sentence. Jesus' use of the word poor here is really, really interesting. Because throughout the Psalms, the prayer book that Jesus grew up with, the songbook and the prayer book that he would have memorized off by heart, the psalmist would describe moments whenever catastrophe came, moments of trouble, curveball moments just came out of left field, And in response to that, he would write that he was poor. Psalm 34 is on the screen. In verse 6, David describes himself as this poor man. Life was going well for him. I don't have time to get into what's going on in this 
uh, Sam, but he experiences something unexpected. He has to act in an unexpected way, and he describes himself as this poor man. Life is going good, now it's full of trouble. And so what does he do? He calls. He called upon the name of the Lord. Faced with all of his troubles, David cried out, God, help me. And the Lord heard him. And the Lord saved him from all of his troubles. Whenever his life was shaken, David recognized that he was helpless without God's help. His circumstances threw him into complete dependence upon God. He placed his trust in him. And that all sounds really nice and tidy, but my guess was if we were with David while this thing was going down, it would have been super messy. It would have been full of wrestling and fear and doubt. He wouldn't have been writing this lovely poetic psalm, but knowing his need, he probably just cried out a brutal, God, I need you to show up right now. And the good news was that God was near. He was available. He hears David's cry of childlike trust, and he saved him. Whenever we face troubles, and I am so aware that there are some of you who are going through this right now, but whenever we go through troubles, whenever we feel as if our spirit is just quenched by the strains of life, there's a couple of choices that we can make. Either we can do what David did, and we can cry out to God, and we can avail ourselves of the kingdom's availability. Or we can do what I know I do all the time, and it's quite common in the church. We just, like, just cover over our pain by saying God is good way too quickly. We just say God is good and just move on. We set so fast that we don't give God any time to be able to minister to the point of our pain. Please hear me. God is good. God is healer, but he is a wounded healer. He is not ashamed of the pain that you're experiencing. And I believe that God can transform in an instant, but sometimes he takes the time between our Good Friday and our Easter Sunday to allow for the full force of resurrection to take hold of our lives. Sometimes we need to slow down and simply be honest. That is what Holy Saturday is all about, waiting for God, sitting with what we're going through and asking him, God, in my pain, would you help me? Because I need you. That is what we need to do. Sometimes, though, we do what is way more common in the cultural climate around us. We keep buying into the gospel of successism. It's a counterfeit gospel, but it is a gospel all the same. And it's basically sort your life out yourself. That's the mode that we get into. Successism tells us that life should always be up and to the right, that we are to be winners and we're to avoid weakness at all costs. Weakness is something that we're ashamed of. We live this always be optimizing life. It's like our phones, we just need constantly updated or you know, like chat GBT 3.5 is now chat GBT 4, and then it'll be, I don't know, 4.5 next week, and then whenever we get to 6, it's zombie apocalypse time. If you know, you know. If you don't, just don't. It's best to avoid. <laughs> yeah, anyway. <laughs> but we think that we just need to keep updating. 
keep moving on, keep improving. That's why we read so much self-help. It's why we listen to the podcasts that we listen to. It's why we follow so many influencers on Instagram. We're just wanting to keep improving because we're ashamed of our weakness. Think of the cross, the thing that we gathered to be able to celebrate last weekend, where we marveled at it, we were in awe at it because we saw our God in pain and we are so ashamed of our pain when in fact he invites us to be honest with it. Don't cover it over because of self-help. Bring it to Jesus. That is what we're invited to do. Successism screams at us that it is the winners of this world that are the blessed ones. And so we just buy into its myth. But here's the thing. Even if you buy into the myth of successism, curveballs will come. And you can't be successful and poor in spirit. And so what do you do with your inevitable hardship? Well, you just suppress it. You just try to par through. It's a good ball, I know. It's, yeah. You can take it, it's fine, don't worry. We just try to par through sometimes. We just keep our heads down. Life, thanks Pete, life will be better on the other side of this thing that I'm going through. And so we just par through. That is the Northern Irish mentality. And well, look how we're getting on with that. So often we try to self-medicate our way to that place whenever life is going to be okay. We just try to make life a little bit easier for us. And so we just numb ourselves out with whatever vice of choice we've got, whether it's booze or porn or living for the weekend or over shopping or scrolling through other people's lives. Or we just get hard, we just get cynical. It was act like the big lad and just give the impression that nothing can hurt us. Friends, I am not buying what successism is selling anymore because it doesn't feel anything remotely like blessing. It screams of denial and it just sounds like pride. Let's go back to Psalm 34. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. This poor man, he was honest and he was humble enough to ask for help. Whenever things weren't working, he called upon the name of the Lord and he was blessed. I've got some really good news for you today, friends. There is blessing on the other side of us humbly asking God for help. The blessed life is the life of proximity to Jesus. We just need to let him get close to us as we actually are, not as we're pretending to be to the world. We just need to let him come closer. I know that this is so simple, but faced with the unemployment, with the tensions with our colleague, the sickness of an elderly relative, our gambling, our loneliness, simply crying out, God, would you help me? It is so often the last thing we do. But whenever we cry out to the name of the Lord in prayer, the help that we receive is nothing less than the rain of the heavens with its resurrection life rushing towards us. The blessed life is us learning to live with a humble, childlike even dependence upon God where we learn to rely on him. As Brennan Manning once said, and he knew all about this, he says this, childlike surrender and trust it is the defining spirit of authentic discipleship. Here's the thing that I have learned, have come to learn through the troubles that I have faced in my own life. Jesus is able to take my weight, all of it. I can rely on him to take the weight of my entire life, especially the hardest of moments. In the hardest of moments I have faced, I have known the presence of Jesus in ways that I can't even begin to explain to you right now. 
because they are so profoundly intimate. They are so real. And I know that there are so many people in this room that can testify to that. Whenever you consider how Jesus was faithful and good and healer and present with you in the moments whenever it hurt the most, trying to explain that to somebody is so hard because it is like he walks towards you, places his hand a blessing upon you and says, Makarios, I'm right here. Self-reliance which is just elder brother pride. It stops us from trusting in God, from surrendering, offering simple surrendering prayers like trust. There is so little blessing to be found with you just taking the weight of the world upon your shoulders and straining through it. It'll just wear you out. Humility, it creates the conditions for blessing. Our humility opens us up so that Jesus is able to come towards us and minister to the point of our pain. Blessed is the younger brother who full of messy humility comes home. Blessed are the poor in spirit because whenever they learn to live honestly and humbly, they're the ones that get to receive heaven's help. Lucy, Michael, guys, do you want to come on up? Friends, I said this before, I'll say it again. I'm so aware that there are people in the room who are going through this right now. Your circumstances have been rocked recently. You're in the thick of trouble and life is hard. Can I just make a couple of things really clear to you right now? We don't like to admit it around these parts, but many of us at times don't believe in grace. We believe in something else. We believe in karma. We wouldn't say that we do, but we do. Because in those moments whenever something beyond our control just crashes into our worlds, we so often find ourselves asking ourselves the question, what did I do wrong? It's the question that we hold even before God. And you may be here facing a bereavement. Someone has hurt you. You're struggling through the cost of living crisis right now. Life is spinning out of control. You've come to the end of yourself. And you might be here thinking that God is mad with you or that God's divine disfavor is on you, friends, that is a lie. It is just a lie. Because with the weight that you are carrying, Jesus comes to you and says, Makarios, I am here. I am with you. And the kingdom that I bring is especially for you. His attention is on you today. But you may also be here weary from trying out all the other things to work through your trouble. Can I encourage you? From the wisdom of this book, from the stories of my friends, and from my own personal experiences, even though you might be full of disappointment, discouragement, doubt even, even though you can only offer up tears and the whisper of help, something of God's good future begins, begins to tether itself to your present circumstances whenever you call upon his name in prayer. Trust me. Jesus draws close to the point of our pain. There is no aspect of the human experience that he is not familiar with, and there is no aspect of the human condition that excludes you today from experiencing his blessing. And why? Because as we read in Hebrews 4, now that we know what we have, Jesus, it's what we have. We have him close now that we know what we have, Jesus, the great high priest, with ready access to God, let's not slip it through our fingers. 
We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing. He's experienced it all, but just without the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, friends, and accept heaven's help. There is grace and there is help to be received as we approach our king, who we find is already rushing up the lane towards us to pull us into his loving embrace. In the early days of the civil rights movement, Dr. King was just shocked at the vitriol that he was facing. And one night he was completely overwhelmed. And so he sat at his kitchen table, the most ordinary place, but he was full of despair. He was full of fear. He was at the end of himself. And so he turned to God in prayer. He said this, The words I spoke to God that midnight are still vivid in my memory. I'm here taking a stand for what I believe is right, but now I'm afraid. The people are looking to me for leadership, and if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I am at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. You might not be leading a movement like Dr. King, but I know that for some of you, you can... Well, you could probably echo those final words today. Poor in spirit, Dr. King. Poor in spirit, one of the most influential leaders. Poor in spirit. He asked for help. And then he goes on to say this. At that moment, precisely at that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced God before. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, stand up for justice, stand up for truth, and God will be at your side forever. And almost at once, my fears began to go. My uncertainty disappeared, and I was ready to face anything. A few days later, Dr. King's house got bombed, and in the years to follow, he would face much worse. But he was unmoved. That night, a composure, a confidence, a blessedness was instilled upon his head as the presence of the divine moved closer to him and whispered in his ear, I will be at your side forever. Friends, that is the blessed life. And over the next few weeks, I want to invite you to see the world through the prophetic imagination of the Beatitudes. Because whenever life is hard and whenever we can't help but wonder, are we just cursed? May we hear the master's makarios, know you are blessed. And whenever everything is up against us, may we come to see that that is precisely whenever the kingdom is most available to us. If you're here today hurting, friends, may you receive the gospel of the kingdom, the shape of the blessed life. Makarios, congratulations, blessings upon you, the poor in spirit, because God is going to be at your side forever. Yours is the kingdom of God. If you're able, can I invite you to stand with me as we come to respond? I know that you know this, but that wasn't the Sermon on the Mount the past half an hour. I'm just not that good. 
but some of you will know that as I have been speaking, it's felt a fraction, like a little bit like being in the crowd that day. As I've been speaking, it feels as if, even deep within us, that Jesus has locked his eyes on you. He's looking to you where you are at with what you're dealing with, and he is saying, Makarios, over you. If that is you, I don't want you just to go home after listening to a talk and singing a few songs and hanging out with some friends. I want you to receive the kingdom today, to receive its grace and to receive its help. If you're here and you are the poor in spirit, the kingdom belongs to you. You just need to receive it. And so God, would you let your kingdom come right now? Holy Spirit, would you fill this place with your presence, with your proximity, with your nearness? Come, Lord, I pray. If you're here today and if you're honest and humble enough to say that you are the poor in spirit, you just need to receive the help of God. Perhaps you've been suppressing your pain. You've tried everything else. You're just at the end of yourself and you just need to call upon the name of the Lord. God, would you help me? I want to pray for you today. I want to pray that you would experience the grace and the help of God. And in a moment, I'm going to invite you to do something that's quite brave. I'm going to invite you just to place your hands out in front of you. You may have seen us do this if you've been around us. It's just a simple sign of us kind of not closing ourselves in, but opening ourselves up. And with our bodies just saying before God, God, I'm open to you. I need your help right now. I'm done kind of clenching my fists. I'm just open to you. This simple act is a, well, it's an act of surrender. As you do that, I want to invite you just to wait as the band lead us and just to receive, receive from Jesus. And like Dr. King that night at his kitchen table, nothing overly dramatic might happen. But I've been praying for you all week that you would experience deep within yourself the quiet voice of Jesus just whispering to you, I'm here, I'm here, I'm close. But this is important. If you've come here today and you've come with friends or your upside your spouse or your partner, you've got friends who are close by or just because you're here and we're the church, if you notice that somebody beside you is responding with their arms out in front of them, I want to invite you to lay your hand upon their shoulder and to take a few moments to simply bless them, to pray for them. Now, ground rule, I don't want you to ask them what's going on, all right? I just want you to bless them, to pray for them, to offer them words of encouragement, words that would build them up. If you've got a scripture that you just want to bless somebody with, if there's a picture that comes to mind, if there's a word or a phrase that you just want to pray over that person, please do it. Also, though, if you just want to stand with that person with your arm in their shoulder and just wait with them and just bless what God is doing. Friends, that is okay. The gift of just being present with each other, it is one of the greatest gifts of the church, but it's one of the, one of the most underused gifts of the church because we're so busy rushing around. See to slow down and wait with each other, all right? So, if you want to receive the help and the nearness of Christ, if you here today are poor in spirit and you just want to receive the kingdom, 
I'd love to pray for you. Just want to stick your hands out in front of you to respond, to receive the help of heaven. And if you do notice people who are beside you and they're responding right now, do you want to just draw close to them? Just lay a hand on the shoulder. You can look about and see if there's people nearby that you need to move towards. That's okay. Jesus, would your kingdom come right now in the lives of my friends? Would they experience your blessing, your closeness, you rushing towards them? Would you comfort them and invite them to experience your love? Draw them closer into your embrace. May they know this day that theirs is the kingdom, that Jesus is available to them. If you're around those people, why don't you just begin to share encouragements, prayers, just wait alongside them. And while we respond, we're, we're going to move into a time of worship. And can I invite you, if you're just seeing what's happening around you, it's peaceful and gentle, and actually you want to join in on that, you can still just put your arms out in front of you and somebody will draw close and pray for you. But let's worship together as we respond.